Hi, this is Sean Kelly, and I listen to G'day World for the sake of Cameron's self-esteem. G'day, Rich. G'day, Cam. How's it going, mate? Mate. I'm, I'm good, mate. Mate, how the fuck are you, mate? Good, mate, as yous. Yeah, <laughs> wheeze is good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Uh, we got to live up to the uh, Ocker type uh, recording that we supposedly do. That who was it? Somebody from the ABC or something, wasn't it? Uh, Charles Wright, I think, was from the Age. No, wasn't wasn't Charles Wright? He's he's the one that bags out the show. Yeah, we got to live up. We got to live up to that. But remember the guy? Oh, the BBC. The BBC. Was it the BBC? Was it? Oh, no, no, ABC in Brisbane. ABC in Brisbane. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Did the reviews on a few TPN shows and talked about this one. I, um, yeah. uh, the reason I was thinking the BBC, I'm actually being interviewed by the BBC on Tuesday next week, along with David Markham, my co-host on the Napoleon show. They're, we're on the uh, Blogs oh, and Pods show on uh, cool. BBC Live, Five Live or something, I don't know. Yeah, and, and somebody else from the BBC is uh, running a clip from the Father Bob show, I think, uh, today or something. You oh, and Spence, cool. our man in Edinburgh, was over at uh, Nicole Simon's podcast conference in Germany for the last few days and was obviously uh, rubbing up against a bunch of people from the BBC and <laughs> waving the TPN flag because we got this sudden shitload of interest of people at the BBC <laughs> wanting to BBC. do stuff with us. Good um, one, yeah. yeah, good one, Spency mate. Um, uh, shall I talk about Mick Stanick's post? Does anyone care? I don't know. <laughs> I think it, it it got a comment, so someone does. <laughs> oh well, Chris Perillo's mentioned it, and T David's mentioned it. For those of you who even remember who Mick was, my original uh, co-host on G'day World and. Uh, the co-founder of the podcast network was a guy called Mick Stanick. Uh, hasn't really been involved with the show or with TPN on a day-to-day basis for a long time now. I mean, well over six months. Well over six months, probably, yeah. And anyway, just officially resigned as uh, a director of TPN last week or the week before, something like that. And, uh, yeah, and that's it. There's no more story. Mix, mix gone. Yep. So oh as, as, yeah, mix gone. So there you go. Uh, but as I said, hasn't really been involved on a day to day with the business or the shows for. When was the last time you spoke to Mick? It was before he moved from Sydney to Melbourne, which was Des- December, was like November, December. Yes. So, yeah. so somewhere around Novemberish, um, I. Th- I think I probably had a brief Skype conversation with him or something along those lines, but but not an awful lot. I mean, the interaction sort of at the end of last year was mostly waiting at the, the month end for a report coming from Mick, and that, that was pretty much sort of all that, that sort of 
occurred in the last few months at least. Yeah. So anyway, we wish him all the best for whatever he does in the future. Lots of news today. Lots of news. Uh, let me refer to my Google notebook. Lots of news. Can we start? Can we start with O'Reilly? Well, I, I don't have anything on O'Reilly. What's O'Reilly done or said? I missed that. Uh, they've asked for a cease and desist to be put on oh. a. I, let's see. IT Cork is a not-for-profit networking organisation for IT professionals. Oh, sorry, IT at Cork. Um, IT at Cork organises regular information and networking networking events, which are free for its members. Good blokes, by the sounds of it. One of these events, the upcoming Web 2.0 Half Day Conference, yeah, because everybody's using the, the, the term Web 2.0, is the target of a cease and desist letter from the legal team of O'Reilly Publishers. Basically, O'Reilly are claiming that they have applied for a trademark for the term Web 2.0, and therefore IT at Court can't use the term for its conference. Apparently, use of the term Web 2.0 is a flagrant violation of their trademark rights. So they should just stick it up their ass because we're going to rename all of our shows the Web 2.0 show. <laughs> I, I, I love the rest of this post uh, up on Tom Rafferty's blog where he says, Ironically, I invited Tim O'Reilly to speak at this conference last February and his response, which I received on the 15th of February, was, I would love to be able to do it, but my schedule is just too full for an additional international trip. But uh, So Tim was aware of the event in February but decided to wait until two weeks before the conference to set the lawyers on us. As I mentioned, IT at Cork is a not-for-profit organisation and doesn't have the resources available to O'Reilly. What do people suggest we do? Well, look, I, I, I think that uh, Tim O'Reilly is uh, credited with coming up with the Web 2.0 term when he was looking for a name for his conference. But it's being used... Anywhere and everywhere. Uh... It's now a generic term. It's like it's like the people that struggle with their trademarks. You, you protect your trademark for one very or several good reasons, but one very good reason for protecting your trademark is that you don't want it to become a general term that everybody uses, like Hoover, for example. I don't know. If, I think that's an American one, isn't it? With the um, the vacuum cleaners being called Hoovers. Now, when it moves into a general term, then lawyers struggle big time to actually protect that as a trademark because as soon as it moves into the you know public domain as sort of Web 2.0, I think, kind of is, it, uh, it, it ceases to be a trademarkable term. So uh, they, they will struggle over time. Uh, it's just... I mean, the, the depressing thing is that uh, and I think he kind of, or some people have mentioned this in some of their posts about this this morning. You know, O'Reilly have based their business on open source and, and being, you know, the good Samaritans and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden they're trademarking a term. It's not even like a patent infringement where the, you know, they've put a serious amount of effort into it. He came up with Web 2.0. Wow. Big wow. All of a sudden. And now, now they're going to start suing people. It's stupid. Yeah, particularly because Tim O'Reilly's got a reputation as being a good bloke too. I mean, he's sort of nice guy, good guy, you know, gets a lot of cred. And mm. it, it would be different if, 
you know, he had just come up with the name Web 2.0 and, you know, it, you know, it was talking about the fact that it was trademarked and it was a business term and it, it had happened yesterday or last week. But, you know, when did he first start using it? 18 months ago? Uh, I don't know, a year Something ago? Like I mean, ago? They, they had a conference, yeah. I mean, they, They've had a couple of them now. So third conference? Yes, yeah, so it must have been at least a year to two years ago. And to turn around now, a year or two down the track, and start going, oh, no, you can't use that term, we've got a trademark uh, pending on it, is just just seems wrong. I mean, it, it, it's basically akin to somebody turning around to me and going... Sorry, you can't call the business the podcast network. Uh, you know, we we've got a trademark on the word podcast. I'd be like, yeah, exactly. I'd be like, good luck, good luck. <laughs> yeah, can't see how many you can sue. Well, it comes back to this suing people because you know it's your only business model, right? But um, that's not obviously O'Reilly's business model. I mean, they seem to be doing very well with conferences and books and the works. Uh, and well, they realise that. that that books, books are difficult for them in the IT sector. But, yeah, exactly right. Conferences and, and they, they're trying to shift their business model to do a lot of online book type stuff and, and things like that. So, you know, yeah. But anybody that thinks that they can, well, I don't know. They're obviously not thinking they're going to make money out of suing people. That's me being facetious. But, uh, you know, it's just ridiculous when it when it comes down to, especially a term like Web 2.0, which everybody is using at the moment. I mean, it's even made it to the newspapers now. That's how general the term is. When it's bumped out of the IT crowds and and chugging along inside of uh, some of the major newspapers, you know, like Business Week and stuff like that, then you know it's kind of crossed the line. So um, we should all go into um, uh, what's the rap leaf and uh, give. O'Reilly a bad rap. Give him some bad woofy. I've yeah. I've just popped through to Tim's uh, blog, uh, radar.oreilly.com, to see if he's mentioning it, and he doesn't seem to be. There's nothing on here. Um, but you know, just to give you an example, the number, the top post on his blog is called "Government Thinking About Web 2.0." I recently received the following mail from someone who desired to remain anonymous. My unit leads the website for a scientific agency of the federal government. We are beginning the process of overhauling our site and have an opportunity to do something more than just a minor update. I've been reading about the principles of Web 2.0 and can imagine a site that leverages our scientific expertise and credibility, blah, 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 blah. Now, he doesn't you know, go, oh, hold on a second, Web 2.0 TM. Uh, you know, Web 2.0 has, uh, this is disappointing. So anyway, I'm, I'm interested. Well, I mean, Tim, you know, I'm happy. Ex- in my business plan, so should I be taking it out now? Should I be worried about, you know, you know, the use of the term in any instance? You You've know? got a business plan. What about the, the Web 2.0 show? The guys that do the podcast. What are they going to do? Yeah. You know, um, I, I kind of expected to come up here and see Tim going, oh, look guys, uh, this was my lawyers just, you know, running off without checking with me as lawyers do. This is lawyers being lawyers, justifying their retainer. But uh, there, there is a, an ominous silence coming from Tim O'Reilly's blog, which tends to suggest that, uh, you know, he's not in damage control mode. Well, the mere fact that they have trademarked or attempt to trademark the term means that obviously the company as a whole is involved. I can't see how lawyers would just go and trademark it themselves. It must have been a marketing decision, and uh, and that, that that would include 
Tim, I'm certain, in the decision process. So it's not mm. a big company. It's, mm. it's a fairly small mm. publisher. Mm. Mm. Disappointing. Disappointing. Very, very disappointing. Mm. Uh, some good news. Let's go to some good news. The House panel votes for net neutrality. Oh, What's come happened? on, blog lines. Oh, well, I can't tell you because uh, Google Notebook didn't open the right link. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. this That's not on. Google. What's going on? Oh, don't tell me my whole system here of uh, using Google Notebooks just, you know. Fallen in a heap. Steamy oh, heap. It has. It didn't, it didn't copy the right link. It's just given me a general bloody blog lines link. Oh, that's no good. That's not what I'm looking for. Do you want me to read something? No, I can just open it up in blog lines. <laughs> so we know about the net neutrality uh, discussions that are going on in Washington. Did you uh, see the Ninja, Ask a Ninja's thing on net neutrality? No, I didn't have a look. I should have done. In fact, I haven't watched any of the Ask a Ninja stuff. So oh, really? Oh, man, it is the high point of video podcasting. Ask a Ninja <laughs> video is just the funniest thing, man. It's, I mean, you understand the premise. For those who haven't seen it and don't understand the premise, it's a guy who claims to be a ninja, uh, dressed up as a ninja, and people write in and ask him questions, and he explains questions mostly about ninjas <laughs> and life as a ninja. Like he was talking in a recent episode about uh, one of the questions was, do ninjas have conferences? And he was talking about KillerCon, which is the ninja conferences. <laughs> <laughs> but the, one of the challenges is they don't tell you where it is, so you have to find it. <laughs> and, and then even if you find it, you're not going to know that it's actually on there because everyone's hiding in the ceiling and in the shadows. <laughs> and uh, it's just very funny. I, I know that uh, Ewan saw the guy who is the ninja speak when he was over at uh, one of the conferences in San Fran a couple of months ago. This guy is very clever. It's brilliantly written, brilliantly performed. It's only you know a couple of minutes long each episode, which usually pisses me off, but it's enough for Ninja because it's just so funny. And anyway, so he did a great episode, which I had up on my blog uh, a couple of weeks ago, where he was explaining net neutrality and the concept by net ne of net neutrality in a way that only the Ninja could. Um, <laughs> and I loved, speaking of Web 2.0, I watched uh, an episode last week where he was talking about uh, this geek ninja that they have who does all of the Ask a Ninja stuff for them. He's like the tech geek ninja. And he goes, this guy is so advanced, like, you know, everyone's thinking Web 2.0 is standing out. This guy is so far beyond Web 2.0. He's like Web Candle plus a monkey. And you're there going, I don't even know what that means. That's how far advanced he is. Like, you don't even know what that means, right? He's Web Candle plus a monkey. <laughs> it's the delivery, man. It's, you got to be there for the delivery. His tagline at the end of every show is, I look forward to killing you soon. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, <laughs> my, sis my sister Anita introduced me to it she, she, a couple of months ago. She said, have you seen this? And, and I hadn't, and I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Anyway, uh, so the net neutrality. So uh, a bill that seeks to prevent broadband providers from offering an exclusive high-speed lane for video and other services has taken a step closer 
to becoming law by a 20 to 13 vote on Thursday that partially followed party lines, the House Judiciary, Judi- <laughs> the House Judiciary Committee approved a bill that would require broadband providers to abide by strict net neutrality principles, meaning that their networks must be operated in a non-discriminatory manner. Sweet. Now, I haven't been over to Boing Boing this morning to see what Corey's saying about this, but so I will do that forthwith. I'm sure Corey's got some great comment on it. Uh, la 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 Hey, by the way, today is international... Today is international... Yeah. Today is international towel day. Yes. In fact, I wonder, was it yesterday for us? Today uh, for the US, yesterday for us. I don't know. Uh, no, well, it might have been. No, I think it's. I think it's today. I think it's Friday. I think it's the twenty sixth. Let me just check on that. Um, for people who don't know about Tal Day, why don't you explain the, the premise? It's May twenty fifth. Sorry, it was yesterday. Shit. My apologies. Yes. Well, anyway, but to describe it, if you're a Douglas Adams fan, it won't need any describing. But he was the author of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And part of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or the important part, there was only a few things that a hitchhiker of galaxies required, and one of those was his towel. It was very important to carry your towel for very, very important reasons, and, and you need to read the book or watch the TV series, or even the movie, which isn't a patch on any of the uh, previously aforementioned... Uh, or the BBC media. radio series. Well, the radio series, which I've got to admit I've only listened to part of, but everybody raves about that and says it's better than the book, which yeah. which is very cool. So anyway, um, Douglas, unfortunately, passed away several years ago. I'm not 2001. sure. Uh, 2001. Five years ago, same, same uh, year as my dad. It was it was very unexpected. I think he was actually either going to the gym or coming back from the gym or was at the gym or something like that. It, it just sort of came out of the blue. And he passed away. And so Towel Day is a tribute to Douglas Adams, and it happens every year on May 25 to remember the man. And uh, he probably wouldn't want to any other way people carrying their towels around in remembrance. And, of course, it's uh, the 25th of May because that is two weeks after his death. Oh, hang on. Hang on, Cameron. I've got to say goodbye to my daughter. Okay. Another kiss. Oops. Where's your milk? My milk is here. here. Do you want to say goodbye to everybody? Say goodbye, Cameron. No. Goodbye, Mia. Sorry, mate. She, uh, obviously, <laughs> it was important that she said goodbye to me today. Oh, that's gorgeous. She said gorgeous. that I had my milk. Yes, you got to have your milk. <laughs> I have so, sitting next to me one of those, you know, baby doll um, milks that when you turn it upside down, it looks like it's disappearing. Yeah, she gave full, that to me. Oh, it's full of vodka. Ooh, that's not a bad idea. Malibu and milk. <laughs> Yes. There were several several people whose names will remain uh, unnamed because I'm married to one of them, who, when I was in high school with them, used to uh, go to school with frozen bottles of Malibu and milk and drink it in the playground. 
that's uh, oh, that's that story to get a out. Queensland thing. Yeah, there's an yeah. 80s, mid 80s Queensland thing. Yeah, um, wouldn't want to mention that in a public forum. No, no shit. I'd get in so much fucking trouble. You need no idea. Um, so yeah, uh, so Tal Day, as you say, a remembrance of uh, Douglas Adams, and it's two. It's it's celebrated two weeks after his the day he died for no particular reason. Um, just because and if, <laughs> that was and the if people who are listening haven't read the book or listened to the radio show or anything, you got to do it. Oh, it you got to do it. Genius, pure absolute genius. I mean, it, it, it's beyond genius, really. Hitchhiker's Guide, isn't it? It's just one of the, and, and you don't really get an appreciation of it watching it on TV or seeing the film because it's just jam packed with clever stuff. It's so far beyond genius. It's genius monkey candle. <laughs> genius monkey candle plus a monkey. <laughs> That's, right. That's how far beyond genius it is. Uh, we don't even understand. <laughs> I can't even. Uh, I can't even find Corey talking about this yet. So maybe the news is too new for even Corey to have uh, covered. But uh, anyway, well, he's, in the, he's in the UK as well, so who knows? Oh well, there you go. At the he probably doesn't even have the internet if he's in the UK. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, that's good news. Um, all 14 Democrats on the committee, joined by six Republicans, supported the measure. This is supporting net neutrality, while 13 Republicans opposed it. Get on your Republicans! Hey, hey, do you ever have you ever listened to Bill Hicks yet? Oh, I'm going to send you a link to Bill Hicks. And today we're going to do everything you ever wanted to know about Bill Hicks. Quickly though, because I don't want to spend as much time as I did on Lou Reed. But I was listening to a Bill, I was listening to a Bill Hicks routine again uh, on my iPod yesterday as I was driving around. And by the way, according to IMDb, he characterized his own performances as Chomsky with dick jokes. <laughs> now, was it? It was something that I I sent you a a quote or something several months ago, and you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, was that Bill Hicks that that I was? Maybe it wasn't. I don't I know. I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember what I did yesterday, let alone something you sent me months no, ago. No, I know you can't. Yeah. But I was listening to this great uh, <laughs> uh, thing from him yesterday, sketch from him yesterday, where he was talking about the uh, first Iraqi war. Okay, and he was he was saying. He didn't like to refer to it as the uh, Gulf War. He he liked to refer to it as the Persian Gulf distraction, and because he said, you know, for it to be a war, you have to have two opposing armies, and it really wasn't that. It was like the 150,000 Iraqis killed and 79 Americans. He's like, he's saying, like, so if we sat like 80 guys over there, would we still have won? <laughs> and he talked about how at the beginning of the whole first Gulf War conflict, you kept hearing these stories in the press of the um, invincible republic, the, no, the elite Republican Guard. Oh, yeah, we're doing okay at the moment, John, but we're yet to come up against the elite Republican Guard. And then after a couple of months of carpet bombing and the elite Republican Guard hadn't turned up, it was they, they were just called, yeah, well, we haven't seen the Republican Guard. And he said... And after a couple of months later, it went from elite Republican guard to Republican guard to those Republicans are lying their asses off about <laughs> <laughs> what Saddam's got up his sleeve. Uh, anyway, oh, I've got to, oh, let me get into this. I've got to get into everything you ever wanted to know about Bill Hicks. William Melvin Hicks, December 16th, 1961 to February 26th, 1994, better known as Bill Hicks 
was a controversial American stand-up comedian, satirist and social critic. Hicks is often compared to Lenny Bruce, although he frequently denied knowing much about Bruce's life or work, and Sam Kinison, a contemporary and friend. Richard Pryor, however, did figure largely as an inspiration and stand-up idol for Hicks, as did Woody Allen, who also served as a strong influence for Bill at an early age. Hicks characterised his own performances as Chomsky with dick jokes. By the way, um, I should uh, also throw in a shout-out to my mate Wayne Turmel, from the Cranky Middle Manager show, Wayne was a stand-up comic working in the same area as Bill back in Bill's early That's days, and right, yeah. and and knew Bill, yeah, knew knew him, and Sam Kinison and those guys. Uh, so basically, Bill sort of started. He was born in Georgia, in the U.S., and then moved to Houston, Texas, when he was about seven. Had a couple of parents who were fairly religious. He was raised as a Southern Baptist. But he got involved in comedy fairly early on when he was sort of emulating Woody Allen. Started doing comedy as a kid and sneaking out of home and doing stuff at the comedy workshop and uh, getting out of there. It's sort of in his high school years when he was living in Arkansas, Little Rock, Bill Clinton territory. And then he moved to L.A. and started doing stuff uh, in the comedy store in Hollywood. He really started sort of uh, touring and doing his own stuff in the early 80s. And he was this guy who just did really insanely aggressive comedy. I mean, it was a lot of political uh, comment, uh, social comment. He he did a lot of drugs, um, and a lot of his stuff involved sort of in the early stages pro-drug messages. And even in the later stages of his career, when he had given up drugs, he would sort of still talk about how ridiculous it was that drugs were illegal, but alcohol and cigarettes weren't. Um, he was, you know, very political, very just naked and brave, this guy. I mean, would get up and basically just talk to the audience. I mean, that, that's the way be- the best comedians do it, right? It sounds like they're just talking. But, I mean, a lot of the stuff that he said then is still true today. Um, obviously, the first Bush was in the White House during the sort of last years of Bill's life. He He never really managed to get any great commercial success. But in the early 90s, he just started to get discovered after, you know, sort of 10 years on the road. Um, And then it sort of came to a head where he went on the Letterman show, Um, but he it was sort of cancelled. He he went on the Letterman show, he did a routine, and then they took it off the air. They didn't show it, and it caused a lot of controversy between him and Letterman. It was just, obviously, his routine was too controversial for them to put to air they decided and but as a result of that he started to get a fair amount of press and you know because of that his uh people started buying some of his albums and his uh, ticket sales for his shows went up and it actually turned into a good thing but around about this time in sort of april of 93 while he was touring in australia ironically he started complaining, I don't know if that is irony, uh, that's just unfortunate. He started complaining of uh, pains in his sides and it turned out that he had pancreatic cancer. So he started getting chemotherapy, didn't tell anyone about it and uh, he was working on a new sitcom. Anyway, basically he died in 1994 of pancreatic cancer at the age he was, of 33. Yeah, he was really young, right? Yeah, 33. Um, incredibly tragic. You know, this guy was probably one of the most brilliant comedians to come out of the U.S. ever. 
And still, there's lots of comics uh, in the US that talk about Bill. I've, I've seen a bunch of documentaries on him, and uh, guys like Letterman and Jay Leno and Seinfeld and Chris Rock and you know, most of the, the top comedians in the US today still pay homage to this guy as just being what all the comics wish they were, you know, just didn't give a fuck. Went out there, told it as it is, took on the politicians, took on the media, you know, basically took on all the same forces that <laughs> Chomsky takes on. He was taking on consumerism, just taking on the American dream and talking about how corrupt and flawed and, and would just get into fist fights with his audience, you know, verbal fist fights with his audience. It was just brilliant stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, didn't experience a lot of success in his life. Uh, the, the classic sort of, artist, uh, you know, tragedy, Greek tragedy, you know, incredibly revered after his uh, death. But uh, there you go. Now, you've obviously you've listened and or watched lots of his stuff. Where should somebody who thinks, oh, you know, that sounds interesting, where should they start, mate? Where should they go first? Just get any of his live albums, Dangerous, Relentless, Rant and E Minor. I'll try and... um, See if I can find them on all of MP3, and I'll chuck them. I'll chuck links to them up on the uh, site. Obviously, he's not making any money over anymore, so he won't care. Um, or you can you can probably find them on torrents. I mean, there's lots of torrents of his stuff out there. Of but there's a couple of recent documentaries that have come out, like videos. Um, there's a DVD called Bill Hicks Live that came out in 2004, which has four uh, live uh, documentary plus like four live performances of him on it and you know the documentary has the interviews with those people i said before it's an absolute must watch you get like if you like this show and the stuff that you know i tend to rant about you got to get into bill hicks again i have to <laughs> I, I have to throw a shout out to my sister she first introduced me to bill hicks after she was uh uh, hanging out in Ireland, getting drunk with uh, some guys, and they were talking to her about it, I think. Or she was in Spain or something. And she said, have you ever heard of a guy called Bill Hicks? And I got into it and went, wow. Um, and there's a couple of great books out on, on Bill's stuff and homages to him. Uh, he, his friend Kevin Booth is, sort of runs a website and uh, puts out a lot of this stuff. Sacred Cow Productions is sort of the uh, link to the site that, that sort of maintains Bill Hicks' memory. Or BillHicks.com, H-I-C-K-S. But he was a, he's had an absolute inspiration for just one of these guys. Again, for me, like Chomsky, a guy who would just tell the truth as he saw about what the hell was going on with society and all of its warts and flaws and the good and the bad. I mean, he was a bit of a spiritualist as well. You know, He would talk a little bit about his spiritual beliefs uh, as part of... His whole rant. Yeah, so, you know, anyway, that's enough. I won't rant on more. Everything you ever want to know about Bill Hicks, definitely check it out. Um, there's still, I come across a lot of people who have never heard of him or have never checked out his stuff, and they're always blown away when they listen to it. I'd love, I wish I could, I might, uh, I might ping Kevin Booth, see if I can get him on the show, see if I could play some stuff on the show. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, let me try and get hold of Kevin Booth. All right, uh, moving right along. MSN Spaces is now the largest blogging service in the world, which I thought they already were. Didn't you? No, I, I didn't. Um, but, and, and, yeah, I've got to admit, that's the interesting number, which, I mean, shouldn't surprise me. But it hasn't taken too long, really. I mean, how long has Spaces been out? A year? 
Yeah, maybe a year, maybe a bit more than a year, I think. Um, I, I know it was, it was after I left Microsoft, so it's within the last 18 months. Uh, Media metrics rankings show more than 100 million unique visitors connected with each other through Microsoft's MSN spaces in April. It's the most widely used blogging service worldwide, according to a Microsoft press release. Take that for what you will. But, um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, they, they've got a lot of distribution through MSN Messenger and through MSN. I mean, it, it's not a great blogging service, and I don't think anyone would argue that it's, you know, kind of uh, really, really basic in terms of what it offers. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously good enough. It's really easy to get up and running. Obviously good enough for most of the punters out there. Yeah, and I mean, everybody's kind of proving that you don't need all the bells and whistles. You look at MySpace and stuff like that, although they, you know, they're starting to add a lot of bells and whistles, but the, the idea is that, you know, basic and easy is good. Here's um, an interesting stat for you. MSN attracts more than 465 million unique users worldwide per month. It's big, isn't it? 465 million unique users. To put that so in just, just context, sort of shy of TPN. <laughs> I was going to say TPN gets about, uh, I think in May will be about, I don't know, 250,000 unique users. So they're just a little bit bigger than us. Um, we should buy them. Yeah, we should. But, but uh, you know, not many people have heard of them, so I, I don't know that it's a good buy, mate. No, no, that's right. It'd be a power buy. They'd do so well out of our acquisition that they'd never look back. <laughs> Yeah, true. Very true. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was interesting news. The other news that I like is that Yahoo and eBay have announced a partnership. Now, this could be oh, interesting. Really? Yeah. According to the Washington Post, Fred Barbash. Now, I, I'm not a big user of Yahoo. Are you a big user of Yahoo? I never have been. About the, I used to. So I first probably got my first free type email thing through Yahoo a long time ago. But the only thing that I still use of Yahoo, other than, say, Flickr and some of the services they bought in the last year, like Delicious, um, is their finance page. So I've got, you know, like what little and what worthless. Actually, I should check today and just see how, how low my sun shares have gone. Um, about the only thing that I actually check uh, or use Yahoo for is just sort of their, their financial page just to check and see how poor I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll race oh, you look, to it see. went up a cent. I'll race you to see whose shares, your Sun shares or my Microsoft shares, <laughs> go, go down the ladder faster, man. Um, yeah. So uh, apparently Yahoo and eBay have announced that they're going to combine forces in the area of advertising, merchant payment, web search, internet-based telephone and browser toolbars. So that means Skype. Uh yeah. Skype integrating with Yahoo. That's interesting because Yahoo have had their, you know, Yahoo instant message chat thingamy jig for quite a while. Like, and, and in fact, I used to use that quite a while ago because they were probably sort of one of the first ones to come out with, uh, well, I think there was um, AOL and uh, Microsoft and Yahoo were sort of the three and then Skype came along and... No, it was ICQ. Said, yeah, thanks very much. ICQ yeah, originally. ICQ, which I never really used. Did I, I um, met I met the guy that invented ICQ. Where did you meet him? About a year ago, in Melbourne. 
He uh, is a, an Israeli entrepreneur who has got another startup now doing like um, avatars for for chat. So when you when you're having a chat with somebody, a three dimensional avatar head pops up and and lip syncs what they're saying to you. It's kind of cool in a weird kind of way. But um, yeah, he's he's a young guy, and he said to me, um, uh, I was asking him about his background. Yeah, I'm quite young. He's late twenties, you know, maybe my age, uh, early thirties or something. He said, yeah, I invented ICQ. And I thought, well, well, why aren't you rich? Because uh, I thought it was, um, uh, well, I knew it was, who was the guy who invented ICQ? I, I refer to his chart all the time. Uh, Yossi Vardy. Oh, it was Yossi Vardy that, uh, that built ICQ. And he said, so that apparently the story is this guy that I met, whose name I can't recall, lived next door to Yossi Vardy and Yossi's son. And he and Yossi's sons were mates. And they built this ICQ thing this is like early 90s and uh this sort of chat platform thing and they were dicking around with it and you know it was sort of they'd been doing it for a year and wasn't really going anywhere and the guy i met wanted to go do something else so he signed yeah he's basically sold the rights to it sold his shares and whatever oh, to his no. his next door neighbor and his next door neighbor's dad got involved yossi and uh they sold it for 400 million to aol i think it was aol who bought icq did he tell you how much he made out of it then? Nothing. No. Yeah, I don't think he made anything. So he just signed it over for nothing. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't go into the details, but not 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 anything to speak of. Anyway, a peppercorn. So eBay has a market cap of forty-two billion. Yahoo has a market cap of forty-three billion. Google has a market cap currently of one hundred and fifteen billion, and Microsoft's market cap is currently at two hundred and thirty-two billion. So eBay and Yahoo are really the small guys in terms of their market cap. So coming together, you know, they got a lot more pull, a lot more leverage. But they but they're just partnering, right? They're not they're not moving. Yeah. So in advertising, Yahoo's going to become the exclusive third-party provider of graphical ads throughout eBay. So this basically makes them the ad broker, I guess, for eBay. And uh so it means that Google's not going to get any of the revenue coming out of eBay. Uh, you know, in terms of um, ad links and banner ads. And uh, they're also going to team up around the idea of sponsored searches. So when you go and search in uh, Yahoo for something, you'll find a lot of eBay-related links and vice versa. And uh, Yahoo's going to use PayPal for stuff that people want to pay for i guess maybe premium services and stuff on yahoo they're going to be using paypal so oh um yeah i don't know they haven't got much more detail about how paypal is going to work but um it's pretty big and then they're going to have some joint branded toolbars with a bunch of yahoo and ebay services integrated in the toolbars that people can install in firefox etc so there you go. That's that's big news, man. That's big news. That that could uh, have a big impact on the landscape. It is because usually, you know, partnerships like this, you know, I would expect wouldn't start to pop out of this type of industry. You know, talking about web-based industry for a good number of years, right? Because then there needs to be a shake out of some of the smaller companies, and then the bigger companies need to start to figure out ways of improving. So it's kind of it's fairly uh, fairly clever move by these guys. Mm. I mean, these sorts of relationships are hard. Let's let's be very clear about that. I mean, it's one thing for two see for, for Terry Semmel and Meg Whitman to sit down and sign a deal. It's kind of like the Microsoft Sun deal that was announced 
18 months ago. What the hell's happened with, as a result of that? Anything that you've seen? Uh, no. Lots Apart of from the fact that they sh- just Scott, Scott shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, he shut the fuck up and some got a lot of money. And that's about all I've seen. Yeah. So, I mean, there was supposedly some big strategic stuff going to happen out of that. We've seen nothing. <clears throat> Yeah, Yeah, my internet connection dropped out again. So, as I was saying, it's one thing for two CEOs to sit down and sign a deal, but uh, the execution around these things with two big companies is always tricky. I know this from personal experience in my Microsoft days, you know, when we were doing strategic things with uh, Telstra or companies like that. The the execution is always the hard part. Getting getting all of the uh, cogs to work together can be quite tricky. Hmm. So we'll see what they actually come up with. Yes, it will be interesting to watch. Mm. So, what else you got for me, Rich? What has pressed your buttons today? Well, I got excited the other day about the... Uh, and I'm just opening my little Google notebook. Um, the world's most expensive, I think it's mobile phone number, I think is, is what it actually turned out to be. Did you see that bit? No. Yeah, so I'm just opening it now. But the number, that, so previously the number that was sold for the highest amount, I think, was eight 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 or something like that. You know, because the um, Chinese or and or Asians love the number eight. Um, oh, the number six, number, six, six 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 sold for uh, ten million quatari, which royals or one point five million pound. Which, what's that? That's probably about five, four, four-ish, four-ish to five millless Aussie dollars. Um, bloody lot of money, in other words, to pay for a, a telephone number like that. So you just want to have just squillions of bucks just to be buying yourself a, a telephone number like that, right? Yeah. I'm so, uh, does they say who paid for it? Uh, let's have a read. The previous record holder already said that. The auction started at a million rails and interest quickly narrowed from eight bidders to just two, according to QAT News Agency. The auction was organised by National Telco QTEL, which has run two previous auctions and plans to run another in September. More details here, I guess, for the uh, for those people that want to go and bid for another number. Um, having seven sixes as a mobile phone number might seem devilish to some. This is uh, the register, by the way. I'll, I'll send you a link shortly. Um, but interpretations vary. A brief dip into the weird world of numerology shows that 666 is seen as holy in Judaism because it represents six directions, up, down, north, south, east, and west. Others equate it with Ar- um, Arabic word Allah, meaning God. On a techie note, the first Apple computer sold for $666.66. The sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is W, so WWW uh, shows how evil the internet is. Um, and finally, Viagra has a molecular weight of 666.7 grams slash MOL, uh, whatever that is. Um, yeah, so uh, which is typical atypical register type news so it doesn't actually say nobody's admitting it but just give them a buzz excellent phone them up and say hello 
Are you the nutter that spent far too much money on a telephone number? <laughs> that you can, that you, you, you're going to have to change because you're just going to get hit by 27 <laughs> trillion right. people calling you. <laughs> so I'm um, not sure which it is, but uh, yeah. I see Corey Doctorow has written a thing on Boing Boing about Kazar, Australian uh, now company owned by Sharman Networks, who's just had their ass sued out of existence pretty much by the RIAA and associated entities, uh, are themselves suing a P2P news site P2P net for libel over a comment which was reprinted from a post on one of their message boards and uh, I love what Corey says he goes this is about as bogus as it comes real crybaby stuff Wah! someone said something nasty about me I'll sue the site on which it appears and P2P net deserves better they're raising funds for their defence and I'll pitch in 100 bucks once it's live Kazar should know better this is an embarrassment to the company far more damning than anything that could possibly have been said about them on the board itself that is pretty sad it is. It's you know. It's it's like saying I'm going to trademark the term Web 2.0. Yeah, it's is about as pathetic. Yes, indeed. Now there's a couple of uh, political news things in the story today, which God help me, I'm going to cover because uh, you know I'm not in enough trouble as it is. Um, this is off a, a site that I have in my RSS reader called Truth Out. And it's a bit of a lefty kind of uh, site, so I don't take you know everything I read on here verbatim, but it does provide an alternative view of what's going on out there. I'm just trying to find the actual story I wanted to talk about. Oh, here we go. Bush's Democracy Doctrine, 2003 to 2006, RIP, it says. It says, uh, this is written by Jim Loeb from Interpress Service. It says... Less than 18 months after U.S. President George W. Bush declared in his 2005 inaugural address his unequivocal commitment to the ultimate goal of ending tyranny in our world, tyrants, particularly in the Islamic world, are taking heart. From North Africa to Central Asia, top U.S. officials are busy embracing dictators and their sons, where appropriate, even as they continue to mouth the pro-democracy rhetoric that became the hallmark of the administration's foreign policy pronouncements. Particularly, there's a lot of P's in that, the policy pronouncements, particularly, it's called alliteration, I believe. After the 2003 invasion of Iraq failed to turn up evidence of weapons of mass destruction or ties to al-Qaeda, particularly notable in just the past month have been White House receptions for Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev and Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak's heir apparent, his son Gamal. The praise lavished by Vice President Dick Cheney on Kazakhstan President Nursultan Nazarbayev during a recent visit to Almaty and last week's normalisation of Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. You add up all the pieces and the message to the world is we have a lot of other business than just democracy in this region, according to Thomas Carruthers, Director of the Democracy and Rule of Law Project at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace here. And that business means friendly relations with all sorts of autocrats. Whether due to the ever-tightening oil market, the sweeping electoral victories by Islamist, Islamist parties in Egypt, Iraq and the Palestinian territories, or geostrategic manoeuvring against Iran, Russia and China, the administration now appears to have all but abandoned its freedom agenda in favour of a new realism. Not much different from that practiced by successive US administrations during the Cold War. So let's, let's all just remind ourselves as we read this that, 
you know, uh, Osama bin Laden was trained and, he, and the rest of the Mujahideen in, in Afghanistan, the Islamic army in Afghanistan, were trained and funded by the United States, by the CIA basically, to fight against uh, the Russians. By a guy called Tom Wilson, actually, an American congressman, and there's a great film coming out uh, this year or early next year called Tom Wilson's War, written by Aaron Sorkin, the guy who uh, created the West Wing, about Tom Wilson. I've read the book that the... Uh, that the movie is based on. It's a fascinating book. Of course, uh, the United States, again, the CIA, also funded Saddam Hussein in his uh, war against Iran in the 80s. So all of the... You know, we've heard a lot of stuff about... Uh, in fact, when we had um, uh, Dave from the All-American Show, Dave Green, on, remember he was he was basically said, uh, you know, it's this what they're doing now is sort of cleaning up the mess that they made in the 70s and 80s. So they're out there creating the same mess. They're supporting these dictators. This gets back to something Chomsky's been saying for 40 years. America's got nothing wrong, got nothing against dictators and, and tyranny as long as the dictators are doing what they want them to do around the world. It's when the dictators start to do shit that they don't want them to do, like, well, he's not a dictator, but Hugo Chavez in uh, Venezuela. As soon as you have politicians anywhere in the world whose policies go against the interests of the United States, that's when they turn on them and start to demonize them in the media and find excuses to either throw economic sanctions at them, which at the end of the day just hurts the people of that country, or uh, you know actually send troops in either legally or illegally, as in Iraq. They, uh, you know, they uh, are renowned for sending in black ops, secret black ops that never get revealed to the public. So, uh, I don't know, people. <sighs> Reminds me of, and I know you'll probably laugh at this, but um, Jurassic Park. There was, for me, there was a really good message in <laughs> Jurassic Park. The original Jurassic Park. In fact, the book, The Jurassic Park, um, uh, by, what's his name? Michael Crichton. Um it's it, basically what they're doing is they're mucking around with stuff that that is going to spiral out of control easily because you know and, and in Jurassic Park they were talking about cast theory because you just you just can't control complex systems and humans and governments and armies etc etc are all complex systems and so the U.S. government thinks it's going to be able to control some form by training a whole bunch of people in when in fact actual fact they've got no control at all and it just spirals out of control and this is what happens have you left does that mean i can start talking about stuff i want i can't believe you introduced michael crichton into an intelligent <laughs> conversation i like michael crichton oh, actually i've gone for his books recently but he he has some great books no he doesn't his books are, they're the pulpiest, they're, they're kind of like the Da Vinci Code, you know. Sphere was great. Oh, well, I never read Sphere. Absolutely re- his best. I've only read one or two of his books and they're pulpy. The, the, the one thing I like... Which did you read? I can't even remember. The things I like about them though is the science bits. I, I like the way that he takes plausible science and turns it into a, you know, a disaster scenario that makes you think. But I find myself when I'm reading his books, what was the one that came out about uh, the quantum foam and the wormholes a couple of years ago? came out as an e-book. Oh, uh, yeah. It was the, 
Is that the one where they go back in time? Is that the one yes. you're thinking of? Yeah. Uh, I can't but, remember the name but, of it. Yeah, but that, that was actually fairly trashy. <laughs> but his what recent I'm... ones have got really bad, but Sphere was by far his his best, and then the movie came out and ruined it all. The movie sucked, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But what I tend to do when I read his books, you know, the ones that I have read, similar as when I read The Da Vinci Code, is I find myself, like, just sort of skimming the uh, story, because I don't give a shit. I just want to get to the science. So I skim it, and then I get to a page where he talks about the science, and I'll stop and I'll read that, and then I'll just skim the... Yeah, yeah, whatever. She said, he said, she said, he said, she said, he said. Unless there's some good hardcore sex in it, then I'd stop. But the rest of it, skim, 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 skim. Oh, okay. Quantum foam. All right, I'll stop and read that. Because he does have a skill for taking complex science and and making it understandable, you know. And that's the reason why I've liked them in the past. So if, if you know of any books that do that, but in a better way, then let me know, because they're the type of books I like. Yeah, me too. But, yeah, just skip all the pretending that there's a story. Don't pretend that we care about a story here. Just give me uh, just give me the good stuff, you know. Uh, la, 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 la. Uh, one more thing on politics before I go, because I can't help myself. I'm a sucker. And, you know, I need to do my bit. G'day, world. Telling you what to think since 2004. That's my new uh, tagline. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is again from truthout.org. Uh, War-provoking terror, Amnesty says, by Sanjay Suri. The war on terror is provoking more terror. Amnesty International Secretary General Irene Khan told IPS in an interview, IPS is the Interpress Service, by the way, in an interview Tuesday at the launch of the Human Rights Group's 2005 annual report. The war on terror and the way it has unfolded actually is premised on the principle that by eroding human rights you can reinforce security, Khan said. And that is why as part of the war on terror we see restrictions being placed on civil liberties around the world. That has led to the establishment of the Guantanamo Bay prison camp where people that are considered to be dangerous by the US administration are being locked up without any charge, without any trial, indefinitely, Khan said. That cannot be the best way in which you fight terrorism because it plays straight into the hands of those who would want to destroy human rights. Khan added, the proof of what I am saying is that the world is not safer today. The number of attacks by armed groups has been going up, according to research and empirical evidence. Irene Khan had controversially spoken of Guantanamo Bay as the gulag of today, referring to the infamous Soviet concentration camp, but that comparison now stands vindicated, Khan said. Last year, when we called for the closure of Guantanamo, there was a lot of negative reaction from the U.S. administration. But today, a year later, you even have President Bush saying he would like to close Guantanamo. So uh, there you go, people. Amnesty International are saying that the uh, supposed so-called war on terror is actually causing more you know, armed attacks. It's creating more terror. So, you know, which kind of, Makes sense, you know, if if you have gang wars going around, if you have an armed vigilante group that just decides to go around and start, you know, terrorising people in your suburb, some members of the community are going to rise up against it. And you're going to have, you know, counterattacks. And the US is, you know, basically predicating their strategy on, well... I think partially on the idea that, you know, they're bigger and badder and can wipe all of these guys out before they really have a chance to retaliate. But also part of me thinks that they want this. They want, they they don't want an end to terror. They want more terror. They want more fear, more instability. That plays right into their hands. That's exactly what they want. Keep the people scared 
and you can do whatever the hell you want. And you can use it as a justification for pretty much anything. Petrol prices are going up. Sorry, war on terror. Uh, interest rates are going up. Sorry, war on terror. Uh, we're going to lock people up in prisons without any trial, without any evidence. Sorry, war on terror. Uh, we're going to screen another series of Australian Idol. Sorry, war on terror. It's like just justification for anything, isn't it? Drives it me, is at the drives moment. me fucking crazy, man. I tell you. All Any right, Rich. Miners? Yeah, war miners. On war on terror. I wish they had cut their legs off. I reckon it'd be a much more interesting story. I might have even paid attention if they actually had hacked each other's legs off. But as it is, I don't give a <laughs> shit. Um, I want to do a quick shout out, Sean. Thanks, Sean. He mentioned he sent me a little note in Second Life. So good day. Sean Kelly. Yep. Hey, Sean Kelly, Microsofty. He uh, was the guy who did that great uh, G'day World ad for us. We're going to have to put some more of those in. Yes. Uh, hey, guys, I know we've only got 27 people listening out there, but, you know, just as a last thought, it would be really, really cool if, if you if you if you want to help you know, G'day World, get the message out to a broader population. If just for one week, like the the last week of this month, if you all went out there and went to... Po- the link for voting on Podcast Alley is in every blog post. Go to Podcast Alley and just vote for TEPN and try and get us in like the top 10. When we started G'day World, it was in the top 10 for a couple of months. Uh, we didn't have a lot of competition back then. I think Podcast Alley had just started. <laughs> and um, we, we were the first people that said, hey, go vote for us. Um, we were, we were, I think we were, did we ever break number one? I can't remember. I, I don't think yeah, we broke number one. It was very close. We were at number three or something in, in the top ten for a while. I got bored with it after a while. I didn't care because it started getting gamed by people. But anyway, I reckon, you know, if you could get us in, so the way it works is if you can get us into, you know, the top rankings of these directories, a lot of people listen. You know, you are our marketing division. You are our marketing arm. I know we're not paying you, but that's all right. We're not getting paid either, so it's all it's all good. But if you just go up there, listen to this. Just go to Podcast Alley. Go to go to go to our link. Go to g'dayworld.thepodcast.com. Just g'dayworld.com. Go to g'dayworld.com. Go to the blog posts and just uh, vote for us. Everyone, vote for us. Just this month in Podcast Alley. This week. You know, we're probably not going to beat Dawn and Drew because they've got 47,000 people voting for them. But, you know, I oh, know. Have a crack at it. I'll I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. No, I don't know. I'll, I'm trying to come up with some incentive. I can't think of a good one, though. Can you think of a good incentive? We'll be more, we'll be more popular. Oh, that's not good enough, is it? <laughs> um, Make the world a better place <laughs> by voting for G'day World. No, well... <laughs> Well, let's face it. If Dawn and Drew are up there, my God. Is that what you want people to think the podosphere is about? That's right. You've got to be compelled to go and vote for us because... Think of these these millions of people. Yeah, millions of people who are going to be introduced to podcasting for the first time this year. They're going to go up to Podcast Alley. They're going to hear about it. They're going to go there. They're going to look at Dawn and Drew. Is that really what you want their first... Uh, introduction to indie podcasting to be Dawn and Drew. Come on, you know at least try and do your bit. If you if you're not going to do your bit by doing your own podcast on TPN, by the way, I need more podcasts on TPN. So uh, what about it, people? And even do a video podcast for Christ's sakes on your city. 
go up and have a look at Melbourne Confidential, melbourne.thepodcastnetwork.com. I mean, get your video camera, go to some of the parts of your city that you're most proud of, shoot 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of video of your city, and do it as a regular podcast. Show people what it is about the place that you live that you love so much. And you must, or you wouldn't still live there. And I will give you, you know, if you, if you can do this in a regular and relevantly, uh, re- relatively sophisticated manner, I will give you a show on TPN, uh, showcasing the town that you live in. I mean, that's all you have to do. You don't have to talk shit like we do. You just have to turn on the video camera and show us some of the cool pla- parts of the place where you live. Oh, or whatever it is. Take the subject that you know the most about and do a podcast on TPN. Make the world a better place. Give back. Something. Don't be so selfish. I caught up with my mate Mike yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you bastards. Oh, seriously. I mean, I caught up with my mate Mike yesterday, and uh, Mike's a dot-com entrepreneur. He's done a number of things, but he hasn't done anything for the last year except sit at home and play World of Warcraft. And I said to him, you know, you should have a blog, man. Why the hell haven't you been blogging? And he said, well, you know, I've thought about blogging, but every time I think about it, I go, I don't want to tell people what I'm thinking because that's my, you know, uh, secret source. And I said, yeah, it's done you a lot of good. You're sitting at home playing World of Warcraft. That's really, you know, you're using it for good. <laughs> Mind you, he has gone through a divorce and he's been sick and, you know, a lot of, a lot of bad shit happened. But you know, I said, but, you know, yeah, that is the, the, the most selfish attitude to have. Oh, I'm not going to tell people all my good ideas. You know, they might steal them. Well, you know, there's a, there's something to be said for keeping your intellectual property, you know, relatively secure. But look, the, the bottom line is most people have far more ideas than they're ever going to do anything with. And it's very selfish not to give back. Anyway, rant, 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 rant. No one ever listens. No one pays attention. It's just me ranting to the wind. Ranting to the wind. <laughs> that could be the new tagline. <laughs> G'day world. G'day world. Ranting to the wind. Pissing in the wind since 2004. G'day, Rich. Have a great weekend, mate. Thanks for thanks for chatting, buddy. Thanks, mate. What the hell is that noise? <laughs> Some birds flying over my house in the background S- on the way like to the river. It sounded like you were getting attacked by bloody pterodactyls <laughs> or something, man. I thought too much talk about Michael Crichton. You're getting <laughs> attacked by pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah, All right, buddy. Could be. Uh, talk to you later, buddy. See ya. So, yeah. Cam Riley and G'day World rock my fucking world. And this is Thomas from Flagstaff, Arizona, just trying to give a great shout out for the man. You need to be listening to this fucking podcast, even if I am a goddamn American and don't know a shit. So, uh, you folks on the other side of the world, listen up. Cam knows what he's talking about. Tell you. Word. Bye. Hello everyone, Tom Allen here, host of The Jazz Show on the Podcast Network. If you want to hear some soulful, swinging, smooth jazz, The Jazz Show is where it's at. I have a reserve spot waiting just for you. Stop by at jazz.thepodcastnetwork.com. Hi, this is Sean Kelly, and I listen to G'day World for the sake of Cameron's self-esteem.